of the time, maybe. <clears throat> I'm wondering, you know, I started preaching a series uh, here a while back called The Gift of Rest. Anybody have any idea how, how deep, well, you'll look at your notes if I tell you this, how deep we are into this series. And uh, the, the end is in sight, though it's not quite there yet. And I hope that you're not getting weary with this. You're not, are you? Yeah, what would you say if you were? Let me read again our foundational passage for this series. Come unto me from Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all you are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. That's a promise, isn't it? You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If the yoke you're carrying isn't easy, if the burden isn't light, it's probably not the one the Lord wants you to carry. So now we're going to move into the seventh point in this, which I really think that that's eight sermons took us to cover to get to the seventh point, but who's counting, right? Uh, do not be anxious because Jesus created a place for you. Now I'm going to give you an interpretation here that you're probably going to get nowhere else. <laughs> and some of you have hung around me a length of time. You've heard, probably heard me talk about it in other sermons and other contexts. I do not believe, after further study and, and I think very adequate review, I do not believe that John 14 is talking about heaven. I think the whole context of John 14 and 15, and you look all the chapter around, it has really nothing to do with heaven. It is about life now. So when he says, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled he wasn't talking about when you die. He's saying, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In other words, your faith is going to relieve your anxiety. In my Father's house are many rooms. The old King James Version. In my Father's house are many mansions. Let me tell you the Greek word there is minnow. No relation to a fish. But it seems somehow or another we get the word remain out of that. And you can kind of see it in the original language. In my father's house, there are many minnows. In other words, there are many places, abodes, places for you to stay. My father's got a big house, and there's a room. I think the, the most literal translation today is English. The most accurate dynamic equivalent is room. In my father's house, there's many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. Remember, he's about to die on the cross. And he's about to create an opportunity for you to come in through faith in what he's going to do. He's about to die on the cross, open the door to his father's house spiritually. And if you, if you don't buy my interpretation, wait till I get to the end of the sermon before you decide I'm weird. Right? Because I, I think I can prove it. If you can, if you can read this in the original language, this word minnow appears throughout chapter 14. And it's never in, in, in regard to eternity. It's in regard to our life in the kingdom of God here and now. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That's a spiritual receiving that where I am, you may be also. I understand how the impression is to take this to me when I die. But Jesus is going to now, in the following verses, he is going to describe a life that we can have in him in the house of God. Now, Here's what I want to share with you this morning, that the most tormenting form, are you listening? The most tormenting form of anxiety comes 
from the sense of God's absence. The most tormenting form of anxiety comes from a sense of God's absence. And the disciples are about to be overwhelmed with a sense of God's absence because the physical person of Jesus is wrapping up his earthly mission and he's about to go back to heaven and the, the disciples are not going to have any physical representation of Jesus anymore. It's going to all become spiritual. Not if you're following with me. And when you have a sense that God is absent, it is very easy... To get anxious. We've said it when no one was listening, didn't we? God, I feel like you're so far away. Right? We've whispered in the dark hours, God, where are you? Right? Where are you, God? Sometimes we've whispered in prayer, God, I feel so alone right now. That anxiety and the insecurity of an absent God. When we get to John 14, Jesus is trying to get them ready for what he said in John 4. When we get to John 14, he's trying to get them ready for what he said in John 4. In John 4, he said, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's going to become now a spiritual thing, not a physical thing. We're not going to sit down and eat together like we have for three and a half years. You're not going to physically touch me. You're not going to physically walk alongside of me. It's going to become a spiritual thing. And I want you to know when it becomes spiritual, I am no less there. I am still there. The day of Jesus' physical earthly ministry was drawing to a close and it was all become so spiritual. And the disciples needed to know how to make a transition from a physical Jesus to a spiritual reality of Jesus' touch. Now, Jesus is not talking about a physical house. He's not even talking about heaven itself. He's talking about a spiritual family that Jesus died to bring you and me into. You're still not convinced, are you? Because you remember at Grandma's funeral, they did this sermon, and you were so glad, you know. But, again, hang with me. You know, uh, sometimes I write stuff, and I wonder if, uh, how this is going to go. Here, I, I wrote this just last night. I, I pulled up my notes and was reviewing and praying over them. And I, and I wrote here, undeniable truth. <laughs> That's saying a lot, in undeniable truth. But here is what I label an undeniable tr- truth. There is a deep and haunting emptiness in our souls. There is a deep and haunting sense of emptiness in our souls when Jesus isn't there. Right? And sometimes I see this, and I'm not sure I understand how it all works out, but it it looks to me at times that there is a deep and haunting emptiness even in the souls of some believers. And I'm wondering, how, how does that happen when we've been given so much? So I want to tell you before I start preaching four ways that people mistakenly try to fill that deep and haunting em- emptiness. You ready? Some people say, this is not in your notes, you're going to have to write it down if you want. Some people respond to this deep emptiness by believing 
that the emptiness is caused by the absence of romance. And they tell themselves, if I can just find the right romantic relationship, this deep emptiness will go away. And can I tell you something? You are setting yourself up for one of the most profound disappointments in all of human creation because you will never meet Mr. Right or Mr. Wrong that can take the place of God in your life. Never. Never. You know, when, when I, I talk to a couple and, and he or she says... He just doesn't make me happy, or she doesn't make me happy. I go, no, they can't. They're incapable of making you happy. That deep emptiness is there. will never be replaced. And some people are just running everywhere. They're on ChristianMingle.com. They're on FarmersOnly.com if they're really desperate, you know. (laughs) Uh, Some people are on OurTime.com. They're all these dot-coms because they believe my life is empty if I could just find a romantic interest that deep emptiness would be taken away. But I can tell you, you can find the greatest romantic person in the world and you'll still feel it. Because no one can fill the God-shaped void in your soul. Amen? You believe that? Secondly, many people try to address this void with material things. They want their next raise because if my paycheck was a little bigger... I would have this emptiness would be full. So they work themselves to death and as mass as much as they can because they're trying to fill a void in their soul and it's not working. You get another raise, it doesn't work. You make another purchase, it doesn't work. You get another promotion, it doesn't work. And these people are climbing up the ladder looking for fulfillment and one day they will realize the ladder that they've spent their life climbing is leaned against the wrong wall. Some people choose the path of chemical dependency. They try to numb the pain. A little more alcohol, a few more sedatives. They try to numb it. And they live from high to high and buzz to buzz. And yet every morning that emptiness is still there. In fact, I've never been high in my life. Unless you're counting when I had surgery and they put me on pain pills. That was a little weird, I'll have to say that. So I don't know if I can say I've never been high in my life. I've never been illegally high. How about that one, you know? But I think, again, I'm totally talking out of my area of expertise, thank God. I think you can be sad and high at the same time. I think you can be buzzed. And, and sad at the same time. There can be an emptiness in your soul that, that chemicals cannot take away. Some people try a chemical. To some people, it's pleasure. They believe that pleasure is going to fill that emptiness. And right now, they're just waiting for the next sexual encounter. And they believe that that sexual encounter is going to remove the emptiness of their spirits. And yet they've been there enough to know that it'll just leave you more empty. Hello? Wow, we'll leave that one alone, won't we? To some people, it's not sexual pleasure. It's lust for food. Oh, my goodness. 
If I could just pull up to the all-you-can-eat food bar. Don't you wish they put wheels on your chair so you could just roll up there and... <laughs> Amen. I love Chinese food. The other day my wife and I went to the Chinese buffet and I had to keep telling myself, you can't eat too much. You will be sick. I have to tell myself, you can't eat too much. You'll get sick on this stuff, you know. Anybody else? You leave there feeling like a pregnant itch, inchworm? Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. You know, you go out there going, oh, my Lord, I wish I'd left off those last three trips, you know. But, but you find out, no matter how delicious it was, there's still an emptiness there. And some people have gotten completely engrossed in a hobby. They think that if the Chiefs could win a Super Bowl, their life would be complete. And I tell you, it won't. Or if you could bowl, what's a great bowling score? I've never bowled. Huh? If you could bowl a 300, I appreciate when I get crowd help on the, on the thing. If your golf score could be X under par, whatever that is. Or if you were renowned across the country as a great gamer, then you would be fulfilled. I want to tell you today that that is a lie. And my, let not your heart be troubled. I have built a place for you. And you're not going to be happy till you're living in the room next to your father, your heavenly father. Let's talk about that for just a few moments. Um, I'm getting ready to start preaching. Are you getting ready to start listening? Some of you, I'd like you to get out your violins now. Okay. Until I was in the middle school in eighth grade, my family lived in a two-bedroom, one-bath unit. There were two girls, two boys, and two parents living in a two-bedroom, one-bath home. And so... What we, some of you are wondering, how did you manage that, aren't you? How did you manage that? You've got four kids representing two genders. Back then we didn't have 60 genders. We just had two, you know. So we had two genders going on there. And uh, um, aren't I cute, you know. Um, so here's what happened is when my mom and dad bought living room furniture, it always had to be a hide-a-bed. Because at bedtime every night, we went into this chain reaction where the cushions came off the couch. The couch was folded up. Two of us slept on the couch, hide a bed. Two of us slept in one of the bedrooms. My parents slept down the hall in that one. But when I was in the eighth grade, my parents built a house. It's a house that Vivian and I now own. But we built a house, and it had three bedrooms. Just one bath with three bedrooms. And pretty close to that time, my two sisters got married and moved out. Praise God. 
praise God. I had a bedroom all to myself. My brother had a bedroom down at the end of the hall, but I had a bedroom all to myself. I had this big cabinet stereo in it. Man, I had an 8-track and turntable. I, I was living, the, I actually did this, I hope you don't think bad of me, but when this actually happened, I prayed this prayer to Jesus. Jesus, please don't come back. Not now. Let me live in this house for a little while before you come in. Because one thing I grew up with was a profound sense that Jesus is coming back any moment. I mean, there are many nights I was sure that we weren't going to make it through the night. The trumpet was going to sound. I'd lay there and just wait. To make, Am I going? Do I get to go? You know, that kind of thing. And I literally prayed, Jesus, don't come back for a while. I want to live in this house and I want to, I want to have this bedroom. This is so cool to, to be there. Jesus built a house, a spiritual house, and he built you a room. It's yours. It's awesome. It's right next door to the Father. He's within reach. He's checking on you and caring for you and giving you security. I want to tell you four things about this room the Lord has reserved for you. Now, remember... My sermon is about, my series is about you resting in Jesus. And here is my thesis for today. You're not going to rest till you move into your room. You're not going to rest till you get in that place that Jesus gave you, created for you. So I want to give you four important things about this place. First of all, the place Jesus prepared for you is a custom job. It's not generic. Well, I built this for whoever wants it. This built, it's built specifically for you. I go to prepare a place for you. It's a custom job. No matter how large the family gets, no two family members are the same. No two family members can occupy the same role, the same place in the family. There are over six billion people in the world today, and yet there's only one of you. And God knows you by name. He knows every little detail about your life. He has numbered the very hairs on your head, which is not a big deal for some of you. But for many of you, that took a lot of counting, you know. Now, I always wonder, why God, why God do you want to know the number of hairs on my head? And it, it doesn't know, well, there's 6,532,000 hairs on your head. I think is what he's saying is, I, want, I know every little detail about your life. Don't, don't worry about me being distracted from you. My mom was raising four kids so that when she wanted to yell at me, she went down the list of siblings till she got to my name. Anybody else have a mom that would do that? <laughs> Catherine, I called Jeff. But you know what? My father, my heavenly father, is spot on every time he calls my name. He never says, Bill, Jim, John. No, Jeff. It's always Jeff. He's perfect in his identification of me. And he's perfect in his identification of you. Amen. Isn't that incredible? Over six billion people, and he, is per he never mistakes you for someone else. He always nails it right on. God planned a life. 
specifically for you. God planned a life specifically for you and planned out every detail of it. There's no other place where you fit exactly the way you fit in the Father's house. It's specifically for you. You learned right away in your home, didn't you, that you were you and no one else was you. Right? I was the baby with all the perks and privileges thereof. (laughs) I thought one day... Not that long ago, my mom passed away in 2015, but a little bit before then, uh, I was sitting in my mom's house and was, we were talking, and I remember the feeling that I had as I watched this lady who I'd known, well, how long had I known my mom? You know, I don't know. I don't remember when I was in her belly, but hey, that reminds me, you know, I was once a male trapped in a female body. For nine stinking months, I was a male trapped in a female body. And I'll tell you what, it was a great ordeal getting out of there. <laughs> For some reason, Jay-Z's not laughing at any of these jokes, you know. Like this, this, um, what was I going with that? I found myself just looking at my mom at that point. She was in her 70s, a little bit older, and and time showing up a little bit. But I remember thinking that I'm a grown man with my own kids and my own grandkids, and looking at her, I just still feel that sense of being being the baby of the family, of my role in her life and her role in in my life. I said all that to say this. There's not another one of you to your father. Not another. You're, you're irreplaceable. Absolutely irreplaceable. You can try to live someone else's life. And if I could just pause there and I sort of suspect, you don't always know when the Holy Spirit is prophesying through you, I believe. I suspect that this may be a prophetic word The source of anxiety in some of your lives today is that you're trying to live someone else's life instead of accepting the life God planned for you. Oh, I want to be like them. I want to sing like them. I want to think like them. Instead of just saying, Lord, where do I fit? Where's my place? Gosh, I've got to move on. You guys are not listening very fast today. Number two, the place prepared for you is near Jesus near Jesus. Jesus promised that he would come to us and that we can be where he is. In the religious culture of Jesus' day, there were layers. There were people who got real close to the presence of God. There was another layer of people who were kind of close to the presence of God. There was another layer of people who were a little bit closer. And then there were the other, the vast majority of people who never got near God because they were unclean and unqualified. But you know what? Through the blood of Jesus, you get to be near Him. You get to come right into His presence. That's the, that's the message of the entire book of Hebrews, is that you, through your, through your high priest, you get to go into the Holy of Holies. Where the very presence of God is. Jesus said in John 14, now verse 20, And that day you will know that I am in the Father, and that you in me, and I in you. Now that's pretty close, isn't it? 
In that day, when this house is built and you've been brought into this house, you will know that I am in the Father, that you are in me, and I am in you. If I could just back up one verse and give you the context, I don't think you have it in your notes. But he said, before long, the world will not see me anymore, so I'm going to be invisible. But you will see me. See that? When the world can't see me anymore, you will see me. When they can't touch me anymore, you'll just, because I live, you will live also. Isn't that great? I just feel like I'm just not getting it. <laughs> I, I, I'm so much more excited about this than you are, you know, and that's a shame. So, so get in there. Do you know what it is to be near your father? You know, this week, uh, I should say last week, I did my annual physical where I go in and, you know, they work you over and take your blood and check everything. And as a result of that, and some of you are on your prayer chain, you know that, uh, that my family doctor sent me to a uh, to the hospital to, to do a stress test and all that. They, you know, they said, you're getting very old and... <laughs> You know, you know, they didn't say that, but I, I read between the lines. But anyway, they <laughs> they picked up some kind of of irregular heartbeat, and um, and I don't know if you ever had a stress test. It's it's a charge, you know. It's a, and uh, so Tuesday afternoon, I'm North Kansas City Hospital, back in this cubicle, and I'm um, I'm laying on this table. They've got wires everywhere. I mean, I'm stuck everywhere with this big cluster, you know. It's like the PA cable that you know, runs back here. It's, it's got little leads going everywhere. And I don't know if you guys do this or not. You might let me know because I'd like to know if I'm weird. Uh, but they started sticking things on me so they could watch my heartbeat. And while they were doing that, I was staring at the face of the technician trying to interpret her expression. Anybody else do that? I, I want to know, are you seeing something that scares you? You know, I'm, I'm laying on my side. She's out there looking at this computer screen. She's running this ultrasound thing around, and I'm staring at her facial expression. I want to know, do you see a problem? You know, and I'm interpreting every twitch in her face. If she does that, I go, what? You know, yeah. I want to know what's, what's going on in her mind as she, as she does all these tests. And then they do this thing that really freaks you out. They look at the other techs. And she says this incredibly troubling thing. She says to the other tech, did you see that? What? What's going on in my heart? And then they leave the room. (laughs) And they assure me before they leave, there's a cardiologist next door monitoring what we're doing and they just bolt out of there to go talk to that cardiologist and so i'm laying there on the table wired everywhere i thought well this would be a good time for a jumper you know i could jump somebody you know jumper cables and uh i'm laying there and i'm getting a little bit nervous you know and i thought of what i've been preaching and i thought father You're right here with me right now. You're right here with me right now. And you, I thought about that as you guys were singing that last song. 
I am yours forever. Forever. Nothing can change that, Lord. I am your child forever. Nothing temporal interferes with the spiritual and eternal facts that I eternally belong to my Father. You know what happens when you start thinking in that reality? Anxiety starts to dissipate. It starts to to go out of your life. I want to do something. I'm not through preaching, so don't get excited. Um, But I, I want you to do something before I continue this sermon. I'd like you to close your eyes. I'd like you to close your eyes. We'll just do a little exercise here. And whether you want to say it out loud or in your heart, it's whatever your personality is wired up, I want you to whisper this. Jesus is with me, and he's got this. Whisper. Jesus, you're with me, and you've got this. Okay, open your eyes again. Don't you feel better? If you didn't, go do it five more times. Don't you feel better? Jesus is with me. And he's got this. He's got this. He's got this. When I surrender control, or I surrender my feeble attempts attempts at control, guess what happens? I receive peace. There's a lot of things you can't control. There's a lot of things I can't control. And when you surrender your efforts to control it all and make it turn out good, and you simply say, Okay, you've got this. You know, if you and I ever take a trip together, I'm probably going to drive a while. Then I'm going to get sleepy because that's what I do. And I hop in the other seat and I let you drive. And guess what's going to happen to me? I'm going to fall asleep. And I'd appreciate it if you'd drive carefully and not sling me against the window. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall asleep probably snore a little bit, and you're going to giggle at me as we head on down the road. Unless I don't trust your driving. Then I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to say, do you see that car coming right over there? Do you know it's all, the speed limit's only 65 here? Do you realize you're supposed to live a car length between you and that car for every so many miles? Do you, and so I'm coaching you because you don't know what you're doing. Some of you are sitting in the car next to the God who created the universe, and you're saying, Jesus, do you see that? Jesus, you're, you're falling too close. Good Lord. You're way too fast, Lord, way too fast. Slow down. And the Lord is just over there. And every once in a while he does this. <laughs> Surrender your attempts. We've got a role here. Number three, the place prepared for you is access through submission. Through submission. 
Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, watch this, he will, she will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, I want you to, to underline the word home there. We will come to him and make our home. With, guess what that word comes from in the original language? Minnow. It's the exact word from verse 1. When Jesus said, in my father's house there are many minnow. Here he says, my father and I will come and make our minnow with you, our abode with you, our remaining place with you. Another example of why you should believe I'm right. <laughs> why you should accept my interpretation of this. There is this dwelling place that God says you can have, but you have to submit to my authority. You have to submit to my authority. I want you to imagine for a moment that, uh, that maybe, uh, God forbid, that, that maybe Vivian and I went home and our house had caught fire and was burned up. God forbid. That's not a confession. That's a saying, I need a story. Let's say we get there, the house is burned up, and so I give you a call. And I say, our house burned down in church today, Tim, Gina. We're going to come move in your house for a while. Okay? You all right with that? We're going to come and move in your house. And I'll tell you what. Move out of your bedroom. Go down the hall, because we're taking your bedroom. And here is a list of stuff we like to eat. And you pay for it because we're your guests. You would not want us to help pay for that, okay? You good with that? Oh. And by the way, here's a list of the TV shows we'll be watching as long as we're here. And I just kind of lay out to you that I'm going to be living in your house, but I'm taking over. You're having second thoughts, aren't you? I want to tell you something. Some of you are trying to live in God's house, and you're taking over. You're telling him what the rules of the house are. You're telling him how it's going to be. Pardon my grammar. God's house ain't going to work like that. <laughs> God's house doesn't work like that. When you come into someone's house to live in it, you accept the authority of that house. The name on the deed is the guy or the gal or the couple that are going to make the rules for that house. And you come under with you come in under the full understanding that you come in and you dwell under the authority of the owner. Are you tracking with me? And when I come into the father's house, I come into his house and I let the father be the father. Come on. I let the father be the father. So if he says, we don't do that in my house, I say, yes, sir. Or if he says, we do this in, our, in my house, we say, yes, we do. Because he's the father. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. I can't live in his house and not submit to his authority. Listen very carefully, will you? Don't make me yell. <laughs> As the father, my father used to say, don't make me come in there. Our lives will always lack security 
until the Father's authority is a settled fact. Our lives will always lack security and rest and peace until the Father's authority is settled. Amen? Now, let's move to the final point. The place prepared, and it's a whole lot like this point, so I want to flow right into it. The place prepared has permanent protection from anxiety. Here we are, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter. Guess what comforters do? They keep anxiety away. Hello? They keep anxiety away. To be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you will know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. In other words, when the house is built, this comforter is going to come and live inside of you. Now you've got this comforter, this paraclete, the one who stands alongside you and hangs on to you and stabilizes you, is going to come and get inside of your life. What's that going to do to anxiety when an omnipotent comforter is living in you? See how good this passage is? This omnipotent comforter is coming. He is the spirit of truth. And he will be with you forever. Isn't it kind of amazing that when the Holy Spirit comes into us and when Jesus died and, and ascended and, and got to the Father's right hand, the Bible says He sent the Holy Spirit to, be, to come down upon us. And when the Holy Spirit comes down upon us, He will be the Spirit of comfort and He will be the Spirit of truth. So that when the Holy Spirit comes into me, I'm getting comfort and truth. See that? See that chain reaction, comfort and truth. are being. I'm being baptized in comfort and truth. The absence of anxiety has got to be there when there is the presence of the Comforter. When I've submitted to the infilling of the Comforter. And when the Spirit is present, He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Because He neither... Sees him. No, no. Let me read the, the, the passage again. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. In other words, they haven't come in through Jesus. They haven't come into the Father's house through Jesus. You know him, for he dwells in you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. That's another reason I say John 14:1 is talking about spiritually, because an orphan doesn't have a home. You do. I will not leave you as orphans. In fact, I'll send the Holy Spirit. You know what the Greek word for orphan is? Orphan. <laughs> it's a Greek word. And, and to me, it's really weird, or not weird, but very interesting, that the Greek word orphan can be translated as orphan. It can be translated as fatherless. Or it can also be translated as one without comfort. One who is not comforted. That, biblically speaking, is what an orphan is. Ah, let's see. Shall I go down this path? <laughs> I'm tempted. 
I am tempted. Encourage me a little bit. I want to say something that will appear to be very archaic. It will, by some on the lunatic left, appear to be misogynistic. I still believe it. Though if I ever run for governor, this sermon will come back to haunt me. I believe, and I'm coming off of the word orphan, that when a father, I don't think genders are interchangeable. I think that there is something about a female that makes her uniquely and wonderfully female. And there's all kinds of advantages and strengths that flow along that gender line. Amen. But a female is a female. And our culture is the culture of the Antichrist and trying to tell us that we are not male or female. It is a defiance of all the created order. I used to get so frustrated during the World Series when they would say, we will be alive when this day happens. And they would open up the bullpen to bring in the reliever, and it would be a girl. And she would come running to the mound like Wade Davis. And I'm thinking, why would I want to tell my daughters and my granddaughters, until you can throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball without breaking your forearm, because it probably would, the torque on your bones here, you ever watch a pitcher in slow motion, his arm literally bends in the middle while he's throwing that fastball at 103 miles an hour. Most smaller bones, because you'd be pitching the same size ball, most smaller bones, when you reached 100 mile an hour torque, would break that arm. Why would I ever want to tell my granddaughters or my daughters, until you can throw a 100 mile an hour fastball, you're not equal physiologically you can't do it so you are never going to measure up to a man do you see the ridiculousness of that you can already do a lot of stuff men can't do (laughs) and you can do it a thousand times better than them hello you don't need to throw a 103 mile an hour fastball there's something uniquely wonderful about women that men cannot imitate. And God forbid I could put on a dress. I could pad myself. I could do all kinds of things. I have, my wife always tells me, you have beautiful eyelashes. I wouldn't even need mascara. I am one of those people, when I wake up in the morning, one of my um, activities is I have to untangle my eyelashes. They get tangled together in the night. I have to go, you know. My wife looks at me with these tangled eyelashes. She said, I hate you. (laughs) But no matter, you can pump me full of female hormones, and every cell in my body will still say I'm a man. 
And ladies, you don't have to be us to be great. God uniquely and wonderfully made you to be who you are. You don't have to do this. And here's the part. See, I set that up. There is something unique and wonderful about being a man. There is something about a man that when he becomes a father, listen to this, Pastor Becky. You're you're counting down. You're going to find, and I think your wife will testify to this, that when you walk into the house, you will bring security with you. You will bring safety with you. And your whole house will feel different when you walk in. Just because the Father is home. Mama and kids will just kind of go, oh, he's home. If you're doing your job. Now, there's some men that are mean and hateful and everybody's glad when he's out of there. But that's not a godly man. When a godly man walks into his house, the whole family rests. The whole family goes, okay, it's safe. I'm going to go lay down now. I've, I've been fighting the devil all day. Now I'm handing him off to you. You're going to find this, I believe, to be true. I know it's politically incorrect, and some people will call it misogynistic. I constantly hear when a man walks out on his family, the wife and the kids will almost always say, I felt so vulnerable in the world. I felt so insecure. It was like all of a sudden the world got so much more dangerous when he walked out. Those of you who have been widowed, I think you would bear witness. If you don't, don't tell anybody. But, or at least tell me privately, that one of the toughest things about being a widow is that sense of insecurity. That sense that now the world is, you're so vulnerable to the world now. Because he's not there because his authority as a husband and as a father was covering that family. You even notice it, don't you, when he leaves to go somewhere overnight and you have to sort of be the everything for that night or two or that week or so. You feel the, the absence of that covering. There is something mystical and there is something spiritual about the authority of a father, about the protection of a father, about the comfort of a father. I remember when I was a kid, where I grew up, we had terrible thunderstorms. Tornadoes would be flying by this way and that way. I always loved it when my dad got home on those nights. I trusted him to watch the storms and know how to protect us. There was anything threatening going on, noises outside or anything. Dad's here. I don't have to worry about it. He'll take care of it. When a father walks into his house, the wife and the children rest better. They enjoy peace. They relax more completely. That brings me to my spiritual conclusion. 
If you are living in your father's house, you can rest. You can rest. Amen. When you walk in your father's house, and before I completely leave that, just I know it was a little side street. We took our phones. Every dad in this building, everyone hearing me through video, every husband, every father should aspire to this role. You might say, well, I'm not that great a leader. That's beside the point. If you're a husband, if you're a father, God has put you in that position to be that source of security. Don't wimp out. You know, don't go hide on the table when a stranger knocks at the door. And don't go hide when your family is under spiritual attack. When the devil is raging against you, you see, so often what happens is the the devil, if he's going to destroy a family, he gets the family to agree to move away from God together. And once he gets them away from God, he divides them from each other. See, be careful, guys. You're not a girl. (laughs) You have a different role. I know that some of you single moms and that you're having to play double duty now, and I get that, and please don't be discouraged with what I'm saying, but guys, step up. Be a man who walks into his house, and everybody just goes, you're home. Be a person who rises up and says, devil, I will fight you to the last breath. You will not touch my wife, my kids. I'm the man of the house. Amen. Now, let me jump over here. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, we've got a bunch of rooms. I am going to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. And if I go and prepare a place, I'll come back and get you and bring you into my house. I'm absolutely convinced that's not a message about heaven. It's a message about here and now. It's a message that Jesus is saying, hey, your life has got some anxiety, some fear, some insecurity, and the Father wants you to come into the house. Come on in. Come on in. Sit at his feet. If you're scared, grab a hold of one of his legs. <laughs> Just rest. Just rest. I remember the blessing. I know I got to quit. I'm hopefully not boring you too much. But I remember my my some of my most cherished seasons were my preschool year because in those times I was a little kid and my dad was daddy and he was very affectionate. To a little kid. And I, I remember him hugging me and squeezing me and climb up on his lap while they were playing cards and stuff like that. And you, but when we got older, we became he-men. Oh, oh, oh. You know, we couldn't, we couldn't be affectionate anymore because then that would, be, we, that would make us sissies, so we couldn't do that. But my greatest memories were being in my father's arms. It felt so safe, so secure, so protected. Where are you? And why are you worried? 
Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in me, Jesus said. Believe in me. I'm preparing a place for you. Right next to you. And I'm going to be so close to you. It's going to be, I'm in you and you're in me. Okay? Stand with me, please. Preparing this song, I thought of an old song, probably nobody but me and a few more will remember. It's an old southern gospel song. The verse went something like this. A bed holds a body, and it's periled in pain. The doctors have tried, but hope is in vain. Oh, but wait, someone's praying in the midst of the gloom, and all at once, the great physician, he steps into the room. For there's power in prayer, power to spare, all that you'll ever need is waiting right there. A few words, a little child's faith, and it's goodbye despair. For there's power, so much power. Oh, there is power in prayer. I don't mean to sound cheesy, but become a child again. Lean into the arms of your Father. It's safe. It's so safe. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. And your biggest problem today, He's got it. He's got it. Amen. Bow your heads with me, please. Father, please help us. We've seen the storm. We've seen the raging seas. We've heard the roar of the lion getting closer and closer. Please, Jesus, hold us a little tighter. Lift us a little higher. Elevate us, Lord, in our faith so that we walk with you in peace. You have come that we might have peace. Give us that birthright now in a very practical way. I'm talking to your sons and daughters and some of them, their life is full of anxiety right now and fear. Help them just to relax and know that you are God know the Father is on duty. Hallelujah. And Father, if there is someone here that doesn't know you as Savior, I'm going to ask you, Lord, I, I pray that you would, you would minister to them and give them the faith right now to believe that when you died on the cross, you took your, their sin with you. And that everything they have ever done or will ever do that separates them from you was paid for on the cross 
and that it would be an insult for them to try and pay for it themselves. Please, Lord, give them that faith that they would believe in their hearts that you died for their sins and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. And in doing so, they are being saved. And all God's people said, Amen. If you prayed that sinner's prayer, please let us know. We need to help you get started. Be sure that you're back with us next Sunday for the continuation of this never-ending series. God bless.